Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. Earlier this month, a panel discussion titled The Glass Zoo Women in Journalism was jointly organized by media startups The Korea Exposé and Mediati and moderated by Korea Exposé Managing Editor Hae Kang and Mediati Manager Mi Jin Lee. More or less, the full audio of that discussion is contained in this podcast episode, and I'm joined now by panel moderator and Korea Exposé Managing Editor Hae Kang to discuss the event before we move into the audio itself. So, hey, Rung, first off, thanks for joining me and congratulations on holding this event that was billed as an opportunity to discuss the challenges that women in journalism face today, specifically in the U.S. and South Korea. So generally, how do you think the event went? Thank you. I think it was a a big success. Um, There were around um, 30 to 40 people who turned out. And um, we, the atmosphere was very warm and uh, uh, the audience laughed very easily, asked a lot of questions and the um, panelists were kind enough to share some of their honest stories about being women on, in, out in the field. It's interesting because um, since this event has happened, Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka, was actually sort of at um, a similar type of event on just feminism, women's issues, if I remember correctly, in Berlin, and she actually was booed. So you're saying this kind of had a different atmosphere than that event that's now making the news. I mean, this is totally different because Ivanka Trump stands for something bigger, which is her father. And people don't look at her as just a woman. They look at her as Donald Trump's accomplice a lot of the time. So, I mean, in this case, the women that we invited didn't don't have political ties like that. And they're just veteran journalists working in the field, sharing their stories. So it was totally different. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I wasn't trying to draw that connection. I just thought it was interesting since uh, I had seen that reported lately that uh, Ivanka Trump had a little hard go in my old home of Berlin back, uh, gosh, it's been years since I lived in Germany. Um, But getting back to your event, you talked about people who joined you on stage. So who were the people that joined you on the stage for the discussion and how were they chosen specifically for this event? So um, the we we wanted to um, explore the concept called the glass zoo. And just to explain that a little bit, um, the glass zoo is something that's not as familiar as the glass ceiling, which is, you know, um, people, people from certain groups being, um, having a difficult time going beyond a certain position in leadership because of their gender or race or, or what have you. So the glass ceiling is familiar, but the glass zoo, on the other hand, um, refers to a, a space where where that's occupied by women that are sort of exceptions to the rule, women that occupy a high level of management and leadership. And um, people are able to, outsiders are able to point to this invisible glass zoo and say, hey, there are women in there too. Um, so the glass ceiling must be broken and gone. But what the glass zoo ends up doing is create this illusion that the glass ceiling has been broken. But actually, you know, it's an illusion that um, the general social status of women have increased. So long preamble aside, um, we wanted to invite women that kind of fit this description um, who might be possible inhabitants of the glass zoo, veteran journalists who've been in this business for over two decades, who've reached a certain point of leadership, who might have some stories to share about like what kind of real challenges they're facing every day. And so 
we invited um, Hwang Jung-mi. She's the um, editor-in-chief of Hegeable, and she's actually the first female editor-in-chief. And we invited Kim Young-sun, who's a KBS reporter for the past two decades. Um, Kim Gamble from Stars and Stripes, who's also been an AP correspondent in the Middle East for a, a decade or so. And last but not least, um, Monica Williams from Chungangyebo. She's a business editor there. And then yourself as a female working in media in Seoul, um, currently with the Korea Exposé, but I know you've also done work with NPR in the past. What are some of your thoughts regarding women in journalism? Obviously, I think it goes without saying, a lot more work needs to be done, but um, a lot of great strides have been made over the years. I mean, in terms of statistics, um, there's a there's a global survey done. I'm, I'm actually not quite sure. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. It's on our um, Facebook page. But according to that survey, um, which um, which studied over, I think, um, 60 media companies, uh, 500 media companies in over 60 countries or so. I have to get back to on that. But um, women occupy less than 30 percent of management positions. And I mean, just looking at the statistics, it's it's not it's kind of a discouraging reality. And um, you say that there are um, significant strides in terms of. Uh, in terms of um, women in journalism, but it may also be this illusion that the glass zoo is creating because um, if you look at the numbers like the the en- women at entry level um, journalist jobs and in universities, journalism universities, the gender ratio is pretty equal there. But as the years go by, like it's much harder to find veteran journalists um, and the gender imbalance is much greater in positions of leadership and um, um, positions that require experience. And so, and and when I first got into journalism, like it hasn't been a long time, so I haven't been able to experience uh, as vividly like the challenges that come with being a woman um, leader. But um, the first thing I noticed was like how few women there are um, in the foreign correspondent circle. And I'm sure you can, you, you probably agree with this, but when you... Yeah, have, no, that's, uh, spe- yeah, in Seoul, it, it's kind of a boys club. Exactly. Or I guess I should say guys club. We're not like 12-year-olds writing reports. But yeah, I mean, especially you hang out with a lot of people. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of guys. I mean, you go to like a social event, a mixer, and sometimes I feel like, where are all the women? Like, I feel like, I feel like the whole jump, you know, in, in Korean, the kind of the, the only woman in the club. Yeah, I'd say especially um, you mentioned like a mixer, um, you know, there, there are some get togethers that happen from time to time, mostly in Seoul. Um, if there are women there, a lot of the times I would say they're probably younger as well. So um, less women than men. And then if there are women, uh, younger generation. Yeah, right. Well, hey, Rung, I, I appreciate the the information here to give it a little bit of a personal touch from the Korea Expose before we get to the audio of the event. But uh, finally, anything from the event that we should specifically look out for as we, we take a listen to the audio? Anything that uh, stood out or maybe a, a good question from the crowd that we can look forward to? I guess, um, oh, out of four panelists, there was one working mom. Um, the rest of them are single, which I thought was an interesting thing as well. Um, uh, and, um, and the working mother talked about how difficult it was to actually balance um, family and, and work and how it's actually pretty impossible to do it. Like you have to make sacrifices that either are 
pretty detrimental to your career or, you know, <laughs> um, affect your relationship with your family. Like she was talking about when she was on a reporting trip, um, when the whole, whole Seoul ferry thing broke out in April 2014, she was outside all the time reporting and reporting. And um, her her baby at the time, one of her babies, she, um, she I think the, the baby um, developed a, a urinary infection or, or some kind of um urinary malfunction or something like that and and um she, um Kim Yang Soon that's the working mother she she says that like she just she just felt this incredible sadness that she wasn't able to be there for her kid at that time because she was working on this hill and and on the on the other hand like um if she if she had to um you know tell her bosses that she had to leave work early because of her kid or or you know let show that there was something that she that was going on with her family um the bosses would kind of be like their response would be like okay so do you want to go to the culture section you know i mean and that's kind of a, a demotion um in south korean journalism i mean at least according to kim's um story um, so there was that. And then another thing that I found interesting, um, in addition to like the plight of working moms and how difficult it is, um, another thing I found interesting was, um, how all those women there, they mentioned that they felt this pressure to represent other women and men rarely feel that pressure, you know, yeah, like yeah. If you're in a certain position, like Monica Williams, for example, when she was working in the U.S. and she worked for a variety of media outlets, the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe. And once she was offered a pretty prestigious position and ultimately she turned it down because she felt like it wasn't for her. And she got a lot of emails saying, you know, from women of color, from women in general, saying, how could you let us down? Like you rep, you know, how could you let us down? This is such a great position. This is such a great opportunity for women, you know? Yeah. And then men, I, I'll just go out on a limb here myself. I've never felt pressure that I have to prove anything to anyone else. You know, it's my life. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, um, Hwang Jung-mi from Sege-ibo, she said that she's very burdened by the idea that whatever she does is not looked at just the workings of Hwang Jung-mi, the individual, but as female journalist as a whole. Yeah. So she feels like if she screws up, then it'll be very hard for another woman to get the same sort of opportunity. And this is something that I'm also beginning to struggle with, this sort of disparity being between Heryeon, the individual, and me representing something larger as a social category. Yeah. And it's why I wanted to highlight this event on Korea FM, even though I unfortunately couldn't attend the event myself. And so I appreciate you and the people over at uh, Mediati uh, giving me this audio to have it on air. So we're going to listen now to audio from that event, the Glass Zoo Women in Journalism. And I've been very grateful to uh, have Heyrun Kang joining me. She's the managing editor for the Korea Exposé. Heyrun, thank you for joining me just now. And, and of course, thanks for your involvement in putting together and then uh, moderating this event. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Korea, just a brief introduction on the organizers. Uh, this event has been jointly organized by Korea Exposé and Mediati. Korea Exposé is a media startup in Seoul that focuses on Korean news, at delivering Korean news in a more nuanced way in English. And it's run by Korean and foreign journalists. Mediati is a media startup incubator and our investor at the moment. 
어, 간략하게 그 주최측 소개를 하자면 <웃음> 코리아 엑스포제와 메디아티가 공동 주최한 행사인데요. 코리아 엑스포제는 이제 서울에 있는 어, 영문 미디어 스타트업입니다. 주요 한국 뉴스만 다루는 국내 외신 기자들이 운영하는 매체고요. 메디아티는 이제 미디어 한국 내 그, 미디어 스타트업들을 어, 투자하고 육성하는 회사입니다. 아, I'd like to, before we jump into the, the questions that we've prepared in advance, um, I would like to um, introduce the panelists a little bit. Um, I'll just go in order. Kim is a correspondent currently at um, Stars and Stripes, which is a U.S. newspaper focusing on um, U.S. military. And um, before that, she spent nearly a decade in the Middle, Middle East for uh, the AP. Covering Libya, Afghanistan, Iraq, Egypt, and other countries. And um, her career actually began how many years ago? <laughs> <laughs> actually, I guess a little over two decades. Yes. <laughs> and I started in an English language newspaper in Moscow. And she speaks Russian. <laughs> 아, 한국어로는 번역을 안 해도 되죠? 네, 아, 지금까지 계속 하고 있었네요. 아, can I just go ahead in English then? Okay, I'll do that. The next panelist is um, Monica Williams. She's currently an, a business editor at Chunang Daily, the English edition. And um, before that, she was an editor at the Wall Street Journal, Boston Globe, US News and World Report, and other media outlets in the US for about 25 years. And there was a, a stint in the middle where she quit the job, quit the job for a while to travel the world. So if you have any questions about that, you can ask <laughs> Um, sitting next to her is the lovely Kim Yang-soon, <laughs> who is a, a data journalist um, reporter at KBS. And um, Kim has, she entered KBS in 2002, and she covered a diversity of a wide range of beats, including society. Uh, society would be more like, how would you describe that in English? How would you Social, various social issues, um, diplomacy, politics, um, business, and, and law. And she entered the data journalism team in KBS, which is data journalism still fairly new in South Korea and in the media world in general, um, in January of last year. And last but not least, um, um, reporter Hwang Jung-mi, she's the editor-in-chief of Sege-ibu, and also the first editor-in-chief of Sege-ibu. By the way, Oh, I'm sorry. I left out. <laughs> She's the first female um, editor in chief at Tegu uh, in 2013, I believe. By the way, the history of female editors in chief in South Korea is fairly new. The very first female editor in chief was just about uh, 13 years ago, or 2003, I think, um, at Hangzhou. Um, and um, let me introduce the translators. Taeyong Ku is a publisher at Korea Exposé, and he'll be uh, in charge of translating Korean to English. And Simon Park Sang Yeon. Uh, I won't believe it. <laughs> he will be joining guys as the audience. <laughs> All right. Um, so just a brief 
description of how we will um, how we will structure this panel. We'll probably spend an hour, um, a little less than an hour, on asking the panelists questions that we prepared in advance, and then we'll open the floor up to the audience. Any questions before we start? Okay, can start now. So the first question I would I'd like to ask um, um, Hong Jung-mi, journalist Hong Jung-mi. I'll ask this in Korean. Uh, 그정치부에서 오래 일하셨고 청와대 출입기자로도 활동을 하셨어요. 그리고 2014년 정문의 문화를 세상에 알리는 굉장히 큰 역할을 하셨습니다. 이제 남성 위주의 문화가 강한 환경에서 취재원과 정보원과의 체계와 관계를 다지는데 어떻게 어떻게 다졌는지 그게 궁금합니다. Stepped all over on 
So there was a female politician apparently who was privy to this conversation. She thought this was a very interesting remark to listen to and she wrote about it on her blog actually.
So obviously hard work is important no matter what you do and this applies to both men and women. But something that she has tried to do to distinguish herself from others from the very beginning is basically to be seen as somebody who uh, holds on to her promises to keep trust uh, that she has established with her interviewees. To give you an example, when she was working in the, on, on the political beat, uh, what you find in Korea is that every time there's an election, you're going to see lawmakers who, are, uh, who fail to keep their positions and that they must leave the politics. What is the case with many male journalists is that even though they have cultivated strong relations or close relations with these interview subjects, they will simply stop contacting these lawmakers because they are no longer in positions of power. What Ms. Huang has done, on the other hand, is to keep in touch and try to uh, keep them in the loop and also to reach out to them for advice and opinions and also she will exchange her own feelings regarding the matter, which certainly gives the impression to these people that she's not someone who is just using them because of their connection and their given moment, but she's somebody who can be trusted and somebody who can be relied on for throughout her career. But at the same time, um, I heard that especially in the politics beat, there's a very male-centered culture of getting information, especially when you're going out with government officials, you go to room salons, you drink a lot. Isn't that difficult for women to break into? Yeah, So, of course, um, she too had no choice in deciding whether she goes to room salons or not, and she has been to many, many room salons. Sauna together and talk about things while they're naked. And, but 
is it something she obviously cannot participate in, but she could at least go to the room salons. Um, many women have trouble, of course, uh, going to places like this. For her, one advantage was that her father was a heavy drinker, and maybe, maybe it's that influence that has enabled her to hold a drink in places such as this. But that is all said in jest. Uh, it's not to say that uh, going to a room salon is the most important duty that you must do as a female journalist covering politics here in South Korea. What has been to her advantage in the 90s is the fact that this culture was starting to be dismantled. So more and more important information was being disseminated in more public places like meetings and assemblies. So it actually has a very strong correlation with the fact that starting in the 90s, you begin to see more female journalists becoming active in covering politics too, precisely because the source of information became more available to women like her. One of the reasons um, why, to change the topic a little bit, now that um, I, I have a question for Kim, um, one of the things that interested me, particularly as a journalist who haven't been in the field for that long of a time, um, I wanted to hear the stories of experienced journalists who have been in the field for a long time, because if you look at the statistics, um, it's a little discouraging, because at entry-level jobs in journalism universities, the gender ratio is pretty balanced, and sometimes, in some cases, women um, trump the, num the, the numbers of uh, male journalists. But as the years go by, the numbers decline dramatically, and this usually applies universally unless you're somewhere from the Eastern European countries like Bulgaria and Russia, where you know journalism is a low-status job, so there are a lot of female journalists in it. So I wanted to ask him, like you've been in, in this business for quite a long time, and you've been a war correspondent in the Middle East um, for nearly a decade. Were there any particular challenges, um, any advantages or disadvantages to being a female reporter in an environment and culture where, this, where gender was so extremely fixed? And you, you worked on a story about Iraqi widows. Did it help being a woman, for example? So definitely. And um, it's interesting when you talk about the statistics. Oh, sorry. Um, it's interesting when you talk about the statistics because I think that, you know, I don't think there's been any study done, but I think that you find that there are actually a large number of women, particularly young women, um, covering the Middle East and areas like conflict zones. Um, different reasons for that, a lot of it's a good way to prove yourself, so it's kind of interesting. But there is actually, now there are a lot of disadvantages, and that's usually the question I get, so I appreciate the nuance here. And um, I'm always a little bit uncomfortable discussing this because by nature of the conversation, I have to generalize a lot. So I have to make clear that, um, you know, how women are treated in the Middle East differs even in very conservative countries from country to country. And, um, you know, war zones are great equalizers. When you're under fire or being, you know, hit by a roadside bomb, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. Um, also, the way I was treated should not in any way be construed as the way women are treated in those countries. Because as a Western woman, I am, um, you know, I was often treated differently. For example, and this will give you a good example of how it's an advantage and a disadvantage. Um, I remember going to the Iraqi mayor's, I was invited to his iftar, which is the feast during Ramadan where they break the fast. 
And I was given a seat of honor with all of the other male visitors. But it was an all-male iftar. But I got to sit there. And the women cooked the meal, and they served us. So I got to participate in the conversation, and I got to meet the gentlemen, and they accepted me. Meanwhile, later, I got to slip into the kitchen, and I got to talk to the women, whereas my male colleagues could not do that. So as a woman, there was definitely access issues that I took advantage of, because I got to, you know, women were not afraid to talk to me, and I could actually approach them, even on the street. And that's important because women need a voice. You know, they're an important part of the culture there, and we need to hear them. And they're generally not allowed to talk to straight to strange men there. Um, it's also important because issues like women's rights often get pushed to the side um, in situations of political sea change and violence. And so, women have an advantage in making sure that issues like that are covered. Um, so the other, the other, the other important advantage was, believe it or not, um, the burqa or the abaya. You know, um, when I was traveling in the countryside or meeting with people, um, I could throw on the burqa. In fact, I had to throw it on and um, sit in the back seat while my Iraqi or Afghan or Libyan security guards would drive and answer questions at checkpoints. So often the burqa was more protection to me than the flak jacket. Um, I was not perceived as threatening as my male counterparts. Um, and then because you were wearing because, a burqa. Because I was wearing a burqa, or, you know, I didn't always wear a burqa, by the way. That's also, you know, I mean, it depended on the situation. But um, also because I was a woman, you know, they don't, they don't think of women as that threatening. That advantage wears over time, because my reputation will precede me after a while. But in the beginning, it's a good advantage. So, then I can talk about the disadvantages, but do you need to translate? Oh, right, good, okay. <laughs> Disadvantages were many. Um, the main one, I think, was, uh, well, in fact, the main one I know are fears of sexual assault in these areas. You know, and that can range anywhere from being grabbed on the street, um, being verbally harassed, which um, in many situations wasn't such a problem for me since I didn't understand the language. <laughs> but you can always tell. Um, of course, it morphed into a bigger problem with the Egyptian Revolution. You probably all remember, or you may not, um, the situation of Laura Logan, the CBS reporter, who was actually... Oh, sorry. Can you give a little context? Sure. So she was actually reporting in Tower Square, with, with, surrounded with her bodyguards, who were American bodyguards. And um, they, the crowd of men actually separated the security guards from her and sexually assaulted her in the square. It was pretty awful. That was the highest profile case, but many other situations, many other women were attacked after that that were not as high profile. So all of a sudden, you know, this, this had not been the situation in Egypt. So all of a sudden, I was actually, um, a senior manager there, all of a sudden we had to, when we were determining assignments and um, stories, we had to think about situations like women facing problems in um, crowd reporting. 
And this prompted a big discussion between female reporters and editors, which I'm happy to talk to talk about if anybody's interested later. Um, that's a bit of another subject. But the other disadvantage could be that the local men would refuse to talk to me. Um, either they'd refuse to be interviewed, or while we're while we're in the interview, they would never look at me or make eye contact. They would look at my fixer or my translator or any other man who was in the room, but they wouldn't look at me. Um, so that was a bit that was a bit of a problem. Um, dress dress wasn't such a disadvantage, but um, you know I did not have to wear a burqa or even a headscarf in most of my daily life. Again, this depends on where I was and what I was doing. Um, but I did over time find myself dressing much more conservative. I would always wear long sleeve shirts and tunics, even in the summer. Even when I went home um, to New York, I just I had a really hard time with sleeveless shirts for a long time. Um, so I think that um, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. If you have any, the panelists, if you have any comments or want to say something, um, go ahead to. We don't have to stick to you know strictly to the order of the questions. So, any comments? Thanks so much for that, Kim. Um, Kim. And um, we'll definitely go back to um, the issues that you raised just now, especially in the Q&A from the audience. Um, I have a question for Monica, who's um, a business editor at Chinon Um And this is a, I want to address a topic that's not really addressed so much in South Korea, because South Korea is generally a racially homogenous country. So um, gender equality is a big issue in journalism and in other places. But racial diversity is not so much of an important issue. And we don't really talk about that so much. But this is a very different situation from the US, where gender diversity is layered um, with issues of um, racial diversity. So when we talk about women in journalism, it's not just about women in journalism, it's about white women in journalism, and including women of color. And you've worked in the US for a long time, and you're also working in South Korea. As someone who's experienced both countries, how have your experiences as an African-American female journalist differed? Can you share some stories? Um, sure. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you and Mediati for having me. Um, you raise a good point. Uh, and I thank you for having me because a lot of conversation centered on gender equality in the United States or any other countries don't include women who look like me. Um, if you, a lot of times when African Americans or Latino uh, women are included in the conversation, the conversation centers on why are we excluded or why is no one um, considering what our thoughts on. And I think a lot of that um, is uh, because of the history and where we are in the United States, we still have, my home country, we still have a long way to go. And so women, uh, you know, a couple of generations ago, where there could only be one woman in a position of influence. Uh, so that woman was basically focused on herself and not um, other women and uh, diverse women, bringing those women to the table. So, uh, this is actually uh, 
women of color being included is 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 sort of we're still working on that. Um, what do you mean by um, the woman in position of power could just focus on herself and not really pay you know? I think when you're talking about issues of gender equality and uh, women not being at the table, I don't know, I've been in business 25 years, but 40 years ago, if there were none, they're not going to look at a black woman. She may not even have been in the newsroom at that time. Um, you know, blacks got into journalism with men and started in the 1960s and 70s and newsrooms in America uh, when uh, media companies needed blacks and Latinos to go into the communities and cover the riots. Why? Because they would send out a white man to, you know, get comments or talk to people and the community, you know, didn't want to talk to a white man. So it was like, oh, well, hey, we've got to go hire um, someone who can relate to this community. And those, those people were men. Um, African American Exactly. So, so that's how um, the issue of diversity, how uh, diverse, uh, diverse journalists first entered the newsroom was late 1960s, early 70s after the riots and the me and, uh, media organizations feeling that they needed to um, diversify. Unfortunately, if you look at statistics uh, now, it sort of mirrors uh, uh, the statistics of women, uh, people of color leaving the business. Um, and, the, and, those are, and there are myriad reasons for that. When I, um, early in my career, diversity was a buzzword and people wanted people who looked like me. And I think that that, I know for a fact that that has changed a lot. Could you say your name? Yes. Um, uh, my name is Yugyang, and I work for the AP Seoul uh, Bureau. And um, some comments and then questions. So uh, one thing I realized after my marriage recently is that um, as I was trying to make my husband um, take the ownership for the house chores and raising cats, and <laughs> <laughs> we don't have kids yet, we have two cats, but um, is that the guys should also Guys also struggle to to balance their work and life if they do their house housework right, if they raise their cats or children right. And, and, and since then, I, it started kind of frustrating whenever um, women get asked about, so how do you balance your work and life? And I'm like, why do we? Why are the only ones who have to deal with this issue? Guys should be also be dealing with work and life balance if they are. Um, raising family and stuff. So I, w I just wanted to ask why we have some male audiences and male pa um, participants here. Have you ever got asked um, your work and life balance? And also to Ms. Huang from Pigable, like in your workplace culture, like do um, do you do you uh, do do you think what should be the right question to ask here? Um, uh, does men have to deal with this issue, like work and life balance issue, as well? Because I'm not a man, 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 I'm not a man,
가장 큰그 밸런싱에서 가장 부딪히는 부분이 우리 여성 여기자들 후배들이 많이 고민하는 게 결국 양육의 문제거든요. 일단은 아이를 어, 케어하고 그 다음에 그 아이의 교육을 담당하고 그러니까 이게 그냥 뭐 무슨 어, 애가 없는 상태에서 뭐 설거지를 누가 할 것이냐 청소를 누가 할 것이냐 이런 건 사실 별 문제는 안 되는 것 같아요 근데 문제는 아이의 육아의 문제를 어떻게 할 것인지 근데 어, 얘기하신 대로 우리 남자 후배가 그런 걸 고민 저한테 고민하거나 내지는 내가 우리 아이를 위해서 뭘 해야 되는데 좀 어, 챌린지하지 않은 부서를 가고 싶다라고 얘기하는 경우는 사실 거의 없어요. 근데 유일하게 한 기자가 최근에 저한테 어, 어, 이제는 내가 우리 와이프의 커리어를 위해서 애를 내가 저기 뭐야 테이크케어하고 해야 되니까는 어, 좀 지금 사회부에 있는데 뭐 국제부나 이렇게 좀 그러니까 출퇴근이 명료한 부서에 가고 싶다. 근데 그 기자의 와이프가 한겨레신문 여기자예요. 그러니까 그런 고민을 같이 하는 거고 그 정도 같이 이렇게 그런 고민을 쉐어할 수 있는 파트너였던 거지 일반적으로 보면 그런 게 아직까지는 여 기자들, 여성들의 고민의 영역인 것 같아요. So I think uh, Ms. Huang agrees with you that uh, it should not be a concern only for women. Men should have to deal with the same issue. But unfortunately, the reality in South Korea is that the division of labor between the genders is quite clear cut, right? Especially when it comes to not only household chores, but also when it comes to raising children. And for married couples, what seems to be the biggest problem is not necessarily deciding who's going to do the dishes or who's going to do the cleaning. These are things that are fairly easy to divide between the two partners. But when it comes to raising children, it often falls uh, under women's responsibilities. That's why women tend to bear the brunt of uh, having to worry about how she's going to balance career with family when in fact uh, men should actually do the same. So it's very rare for uh, male colleagues to approach her, uh, Ms. Huang, and talk about how he needs to balance uh, child-rearing with his career, except recently there was one very rare case. Uh, he came to her and said, uh, now I think uh, I need to take a step back in my career for my wife's sake, so could you perhaps assign me to a department where the uh, work hours are quite fixed, so I know when I come to work and when I get off work. But of course, there's a backstory to this. His wife happens to be also a journalist working for the Hangyeolae newspaper. She's the first female editor-in-chief in South Korea. Mm -hmm. So when you have a male partner who is in the same field as you, then it's possible that your male partner may be more considerate of the situation that you are in and maybe try to make arrangements on his part to accommodate your professional <laughs> needs. But of course, uh, this is usually not the case, right? You're not going to have someone who is going to be from the same field as you and will not really understand what you go through. So that's what she had to say. So, um, um, how about some of the male um, participants in this uh, panel? Do, do you want to add something now, or do you, should we hear from uh, a man before? We <laughs> I guess maybe quickly. Yeah. yeah, I just have an anecdote. So, um, I remember one day I was in Cairo, sitting at my desk and looking out at the newsroom, and I realized 
all of the men in the newsroom were married, and only one of the women was married. How many women and how many men? So pretty much equally divided. At the time I was looking out, there would have been four men and three women, and then four including myself. Mm -hmm. So only one of the women was married, and that was generally the situation in the newsroom, and in fact, um, in the reporting pool as a whole. Now, of course, there were exceptions, Anne Bernard, who I mentioned, and others, so. And now we can get to a man. Yes. <laughs> um, how about Don Kirk? Don, you yeah. I just dropped by because I'm kind of interested in the people here and what, what's said here. I was here once before. <laughs> it's, it's a nice atmosphere, a nice place to meet. Uh, now you're on the spot. What, the yeah, now you're on the spot. <laughs> balance issue or do you worry well, about as a you know I've been I've worked I've had a few staff jobs in the course of my career so called but how long has I've been a freelancer for so long I don't encounter that some of the same problems. At the same time the fact that I'm here shows I'm interested in the problem but but uh, I don't encounter the same problems as a freelancer, you know. Uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily true because I see a lot of freelancers working in Korea today. Uh, one thing that really strikes me is, I kind of said this on Facebook when I was promoting this event, uh, which was that uh, many journalists or whether freelance or otherwise who are in positions of prominence uh, with, and have affiliation with foreign media outlets tend to be male mm -hmm. and white. And um, and I don't know if that says something about the state of the field or not. Uh, it would be nice to hear from whoever is in this situation. But that's an interesting point you're making, you know. Uh, come to think of it, I suppose, as in staff jobs, the, the, probably the majority of freelancers are indeed men, you know. Uh, so you make an interesting point. Which so does that mean men that. are more carefree and able to shirk off other responsibilities? <laughs> Sure. So you kind of have to, you know, really get tough sometimes and really hustle sometimes. And uh, what, I don't, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that women can't be tough and can't hustle, but maybe that has something to do with why a, ma a majority of freelancers are men. Well, these days my male colleagues they just consider the sharing things with their wives, and I think. Um, the male journalists cannot be balanced their job. So if you want to make, if you, if you want to marry a male who can share the chores and the rating key things, then don't marry the male journalist. Why think it's kind of changing? Because uh, I don't know whether he wants to be called out his name. Because uh, I'm working for the AP, our bureau chief Foster. I was actually, and then he's like, <laughs> oh, he's like, he's a, like a really family man. He goes to drop off yeah. his kids in the morning before he comes to the office, and he leaves office earlier if he need to pick them up. And then uh, his wife is a stay-at-home mom, yeah. but then she goes out to do her own things, and still he manages to help her out all the time. So I don't know whether it's really true that only guys they don't want to share or they don't, you know, make the balance between work and hospitals and taking care of children. And yeah, I, I know, it's a trendy thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I heard some, um, I would say the name, but one like company official who wants to have established connection with foreign media complaining to me that AP Bureau Chief was the only person who didn't go out golf, playing golf with him because he was too 
is it with his family or mm, family played, man? Yeah, and then he played with uh, golf with other you know board meetings she bought the AP. <laughs> okay, then marry a male journalist working in AP. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know him well, but is exceptional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a nice guy. Period. He's a nice Although my guy. former, my well, another colleague who used to work for AP and not then worked for Stars and Stripes. Um, I will say he was also very family oriented, but I will also say that his two daughters knew all of the AP lingo. <laughs> so they knew what he was doing. He often took them to work, and also you can always work from home, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sure he's always thinking that working from home, so. Right. Uh, my name is Gavin, and it, it sounds like from this discussion that one of the other problems, um, and it's probably not just applies to the journalism industry, is that there's just no concern from companies for um, domestic life, and there's, no, there's not as high importance placed on the home as there is to profit and making money. Um, so I don't know if maybe you have any comments about how um, you see corporate culture changing just in general, not just in journalism, so that there's um, emphasis placed also on um, life outside of work or possibilities of that. Uh, if I may change the focus a little bit, I want to ask actually a lot of panelists about the the question of beauty and the importance of appearance in the media, especially being female journalists. So we have uh, um, uh, Mr. Park Sang-yeon, who is running uh, another startup called Deeper, and they recently ran an article that went viral in Korea, and it was looking at the state of, uh, of uh, news shows in Korea, and how uh, the male anchor is almost always uh, middle-aged, and, and I would not say particularly attractive, but, <laughs> but, but has a certain look about him that uh, commands the respect of the viewers. And then uh, he was almost always uh, paired up with a much younger female uh, announcer or anchor uh, who usually takes a backseat too. And we, let's not get to ask the first question, let's not get to report the same, the first segment. So there definitely seems to be an issue of women being hired in the news business for their appearance. Um, do you have any anecdotes or experiences that you may be able to share on this? If I may interrupt, I'd like to um, address Gavin's question first oh, okay. and then go to your question okay. about beauty. So Gavin's question was about how do you see corporate culture changing to um, be more considerate about life outside of work? So I'll take that one because I can't answer the beauty one because <laughs> I don't think that is a factor in my career, which has been very print-focused. So, Gavin, I think things are changing. Um, and I can't speak to Korea, but it sounds like they are in Korea as well. Um, I know that you know laws are forcing a change in America. Um, I know that at AP headquarters now, there is a nursing room. And... Um, a sign-up sheet for that, you know. I know that um, a lot of, you know, that there's not really a consideration about families when determining who to send overseas. I think there's, a, I hear from my, you know, women colleagues that there's a lot of work to do, obviously, and a big issue is actually not so much women, men, but more ageism these days. 
um, because there's a focus on hiring younger people. And that's a lot of that is due to technical advances, right? Younger people can do digital, they can do video, and that's where the industry is directed. But I do think there's a positive change. I think she'll, she can answer because she's cheap. <音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音
예전에 한 20년도 더 전에 박성범 KBS 뉴스를 예를 들면은 박성범과 신인경의 콤비네이션은 어 25살에서 30살 정도 에이지 갭이 있었거든요. 근데 지금 같은 경우에는 아빠와 딸이 진행하는 뉴스는 없어요. 그때는 아빠와 딸이 뉴스를 진행했다고 하면은 지금은 최소한 40대 중반과 30대 성숙하고 손석희가 60세고 손석희 파트너가 27이에요. 아빠 딸이손석희 앵커가 워낙에 동안이잖아요. 손석희 지금 굉장히 동안이기 때문에 SBS 같은 경우에는 주말 뉴스 앵커 이혜승 아나운서를 기용했는데 이혜승 아나운서 저보다 나이가 많아요. 마흔, 혜승현이가 아마 마흔 셋일 거예요. 근데 그거를 주말 메인 앵커로 기용했을 정도로 방송사에서 나이 남성과 젊은 아나운서라는 앵커의 공식이 조금씩 브레이크다운 해가고 있다고 저는 보고 있고 근데 아직도 이게 확고한 이유는 그 앵커 오디션 시스템에서 대부분의 방송사들이 앵커를 오디션을 해서 뽑거든요 그 오디션을 해서 결정을 하는 주체가 메일이라는 거예요 남성이 편집국장이 남성이죠 사장이 남성이죠 그다음에 보도본부장이 남성이죠 그러니까 그 사람들이 보기에는 어, 예쁘다 라고 생각하는 그런 조합을 결정할 수밖에 없는 거예요. 어차피 그 다음에 두 번째는 아나운서는 기자들이 써준 앵커 멘트만을 보고 앵무새처럼 있잖아요. 거기에 대해서 내가 나의 오피니언을 넣는다든가 아니면 이 뉴스를 내가 해석을 해가지고 이런 방향으로 프레이밍을 한다거나 이런 게 전혀 용납되지가 않는 환경이기 때문에 어차피 네가 네 말을 못할 거면은 아니면 후견이나 반대편을 보면은 좀 색깔 있고 자기 의견이 분명한 여기대로 갔다가 사고라도 치면 어떡하지? 라는 그런 의견이 있기 때문에 특히 김영수 네. 문제 같지 아네 죄송합니다. 제가 그 9시 앵커를 못하나봐요. 우선 여기까지 할까요? 네 일단은 So with regard to the anchor system on television news broadcasting this is not for a significant situation in South Korea if you already look at the US as well often times you're going to see uh, women who look a certain way of a certain age uh, doing the use on television. There are a few exceptions like Barbara Walters, but, but truly she is an exception in many senses of the word. So, I mean, Ms. Kim was joking that maybe people think that if an older woman shows uh, on TV, maybe she just uh, looks ugly or something, or that's how people think. Um, in fact, uh, you could make the argument the situation was worse before. When you, were, when you uh, were watching, let's say, KBS News 20 years ago, there was an anchor combi, a man and a woman, and their age difference was about 20 to 30 years, and, and, and it really looked like uh, you had a father and a daughter <laughs> doing the news together. Things seem to have improved a little bit, although Mr. Park uh, interjected by saying that if you watch JTBC News, which is the most popular uh, news show in Korea today, the main anchor, also the, uh, the president of news, uh, vice so, president, vice president of news, Honsoki, is now 60, uh, and then his uh, news partner is in his uh, her late 20s. So that is a sizable difference as well. But Mr. Son certainly looks young. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, we can allow for this. Uh, 
<laughs> However, in many cases, uh, you will see that the age difference might have decreased somewhat. And um, to give you an example of a positive development over on SBS, uh, there is a weekend news anchor, Yi uh, Hesun, who is now about 43. So, so that is a, a very small, perhaps, but an important sign of change. Uh, what really brings about this problem? Well, the, the issue is very simple. The people who decide uh, on who gets to be on news are men, right? So when, when you have an audition with all these uh, announcers, you have the president of the company, you have the director of news, and, and perhaps they are biased toward um, beautiful young women, and they want these women to be on their TV shows. And at the same time, the other issue is uh, there is a certain fear that if you are to have a, perhaps a smart uh, journalist type coming on TV and doing this news, uh, there is a potential that she might start editorializing, maybe in inject some comments that she shouldn't have, and it, will, it might lead to a situation where the company is forced to apologize. <laughs> so, so that is the system that needs to be questioned before we can see any improvement. Why, I'm sorry, why, why would they think that the woman, the young woman would editorialize? Why they pick the, the young woman? No, why they think that she would edit. No, that's just interesting. Because she's so smart, or <laughs> <laughs> no? I don't. I don't think so. um, that's because of the smartness. Maybe because of the political. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. But then yeah. you guys need to understand the system here yeah? because the anchor we call it anchor, but then the younger female they are called announcer. They're merely presenters. Oh. They're not really reporters or journalists. So they're basically presenting. So then, in a way, they can control the editorial stuff okay. for them to just read out what's written for them. I see, I didn't realize that. Thank you, I'm yeah. sorry. Has there ever been a female anchor? Yeah. 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 And I want to add up about the, not the anchor system, just appearance in covering the news. 그러니까 여성 여기자들이 아마 어흥선배도 그런 여기자로서 첫 번째 여기 이런 것 때문에 여기자로서의 어드밴치들을 많이 얻으셨을 텐데 사실 지금 저희나 아니면 그 밑에 세대 같은 경우에는 여기자 숫자가 너무 많아요. 그렇기 때문에 그런 생각들을 많이 해요. 얼굴이 예쁘거나 그러면은 좀더 취재를 잘할 수 있지 않을까. 얼굴을 무게로 해가지고 왜냐면 얼마 전에 그 우병우가 그 검찰 출석하면서 한 여기자를 째려봐가지고서는 그 굉장히 뉴스가 됐었잖아요. 그 째려본 여기자가 KBS 저희 후배였는데 거기에서 DC 인사이드 갤러리 이런 데서 우병우가 째려본 여기자의 얼굴을 막 찾아본 거예요. 너무 예쁜 거야. 그래가지고 우병우가 째려본 이유는 예뻐서 라는 조크가 돌았을 정도로 그어 짤들이 많이 돌아다녔는데 저도 한 16년 정도 취재 현장에서 그 정말 하드하다는 취재 현장을 다녀본 결과 어피어런스와 취재는 정말 별개다라는 걸 깨달았어요. 처음에는 그 출입처에서 특히 뭐 남성들이 많은 집단, 특히 정치인이라든지 아니면 검찰이라든지 이런 데서는 예쁜 여기자 보면 처음에 되게 혹해요. 혹해가지고 뭐술 먹자, 밥 먹자, 뭐 이제 김 기자 오늘은 뭐 하냐, 남자친구는 있냐, 뭐 이런 사적인 질문들까지 막 소개팅도 막 시켜주고. 
가지고 이런데 그게 취재의 성과와 전혀 연결되지 않는다는 거를 깨닫습니다. 이 사람이 나한테 잘해준 이유는 그냥 아 얘가 동물원에 있는 센시한 앵무새나 뭐 그런 것처럼 미어캣이나 이렇게는 미어캣처럼 보여서이지 얘를 내가 기자로서 신뢰하고 얘가 뭔가 얘기되는 리포트를 할수 있을 거다라고 생각해서가 아니거든요. 그래서 결국에는 정말 반반하고 예쁘고 이런 여기자가 특종을 물어오는 일은 절대 없더라고요. 그렇지 않았나요, 선배? <웃음> 죄송한데 그런데도 불구하고 회사에서는 외모를 가지고 그래도 채용하는 아 그렇죠 그럼에도 불구하고 이제 그런 뉴스 앵커 자리에 오르는 사람들은 일을 잘하는 정말 일을 잘하는 여기자가 아니라 그냥 예쁘고 써준 대로 잘 읽는 여기자라는 게 지금 우리 아나운서들도 너무 비싼데 그렇죠 아나운서가 아니라 So, um, there are a lot more female journalists now than there used to be when Ms. Pong began her career. So, maybe in the past it was much easier to gain an advantage from being a woman on the reporting beat. But certainly now it's not, doesn't seem to be the case anymore. That said, there are some who might believe that, uh, that a beautiful female journalist might have an advantage. Uh, to give you a funny example, Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Ubyongwo. He was the uh, presidential secretary secretary for civil affairs under Hakane, and uh, the prosecutors have failed to <coughs> to arrest him, but he's still being prosecuted for uh, crimes in connection to the Chesunchi scandal. Um, there was a very popular photograph of circulating around Korea of Ubyongwo going to the prosecutor's office for an interview, and he was surrounded by all these journalists, and he was staring at this one woman journalist. <laughs> Uh, like, uh, I don't know, like he hated her with all his passion. But later, some curious internet users did research and they realized that she's actually a very beautiful woman. So the picture of her started circulating online and some people were joking that Ubyongo was staring at her not because she had asked a rude question but because she was just so beautiful and he could not take his eyes off. And so beauty certainly does get a lot of attention in Korea. But what Miss Kim can tell you based on her experience of, as a journalist for 16 years is that there really is no connection between your ability to report a story and how you look. Because um, let's say you're a beautiful woman and then you start covering a certain beat and you go to visit the police or prosecutors or politicians and at least in the beginning they are very interested in you. They will offer to take you out for drinks and offer to buy you meals. But in reality, it does not lead to any kind of exclusive or achievement of any discernible kind. Uh, because ultimately what happens is uh, these uh, figures in positions of power, they are not particularly interested in establishing close, uh, trusted relationship with you as a journalist. So, so in fact, Ms. Kim believes that it's uh, perhaps a waste of talent. To, to have to assign these people to to such work. But anyway. And she referred to the beautiful woman maybe as the treatment they get as like, you know, parrots or meerkats in a zoo. And the sources say, oh, you're so pretty, but they don't really give them the information that they need. Mm.
Um, so we have time for just one last question, unfortunately. Um, yeah, just fight, fight. <laughs> to um, talk with the panelists and socialize afterwards. So um, I'll turn the question over to you. But before that, I'd just like to make a sh very brief fact correction. Son Saki of JTBC is the president, not the vice president. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, my name is Lashara. Um, really quick question, just about pay. Here in Korea, it seems everyone is in the know of what everyone makes. So how is there a pay gap? How is that able to exist if we all, when I say we, I mean like all of the journalists know each other's making? So how is it acceptable? And how is it <音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音
I was before reporter and now I'm an editor in the magazine. And when I was a reporter, I just had to worry about my own work. If I did my homework, if I work hard, that was enough. And I thought I would be evaluated by my work and skills. But now I'm a little bit of team leader position. Now I have to think about um, how I can be an effective leader. And if you ever think about women, like gender plays a role in, in playing as a leader. Um, I see my uh, male boss who's um, very laid back and everybody likes him and, and he's considered as very effective leaders. Whereas um, I sometimes have to be very um, stressed over whether how I can approach this certain, um, you know, icky conversation or, um, but at the same time, I, you know, I also want to um, be liked. Uh, Likeability is also sort of important. Um, so I wonder how you think about how to approach or how to um, ever think about that in your leadership. And on a very similar note, do you think there's a difference between being just a female reporter and a female leader reporter, a journalist? Um, yes. Um, so I also, um, one of the reasons I changed jobs was to get out of the managing editing position. Um, and there is a clear difference because, like you know, when you're a manager and editor, you're responsible for your team and the buck sort of stops with you in terms of quality of product. Um, I, think, I think it's a hard balance because you do want to be liked, but that can't be your top priority. You know, um, you have to be fair, not necessarily liked. Um, and as women, I think that, you know, like you said, men can often come across as relaxed because people usually do what they say. Um, that's not the case with women in any, you know, even in the U.S. right now, anywhere in any society, I think. And so you have to sort of make your point very clearly and you have to be very tough. Um, I think as long as you're fair, that people will always respect you. Um, if you haven't looked at Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, it talks a lot about women in leadership roles and, um, you know, the differences between women and men and sort of how to get around some of these challenges of, you know, women wanting to be liked and having to seem to be liked to be accepted. Um, my first uh, management role, I supervised a woman and, and immediately sense that there were some, something wasn't quite right. She wasn't delivering, she wasn't doing her job and had to, you know, have a very difficult conversation about, hey, what's wrong? What's going on here? And she said to me, you know, I, I'm just used to working for a man and it's just really hard for me to work for you. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I wound up having to write uh, what we call in the U.S. write her up, which is <laughs> write a note saying that, you know, she's not cooperating, which went in her personnel file. And she cried and, you know, I sort of waited. And then <laughs> and we didn't have any problems after that. Um, you know, I got out of management as well because it was it was hard for me to be honest. I mean, I think as woman, you know, you speak up, then you're you know the B word or you're brusque or you're hard. So then you you soften up. Oh, you're too quiet. So I, yeah, I mean, we still have those challenges. I admire women who are able to navigate that and 
Um, it, it's not my palette, <laughs> but Cheryl Sandberg has a great, uh, some great tips on how to uh, deal with that. Just Cheryl Sandberg, but maybe for our audience, um, there's also the book Girl Boss. Oh, yeah, that's Girl a good Boss. one too. That's a good one too. So this is something this one also thinks a great deal about and, and this is, and her current situation has her 
uh, dealing with all these different different department heads who are all men, and they're actually older than her because in Korea, men um, most men go to the military. So the question that she had to ask herself, and also the question that people asked her was how are you going to bring all these male department heads under your control? The language she actually used is more kind of like uh, um, a little difficult to translate, but uh, keep them under your, uh, your, your, under your feet. Right? So even when she was um, being interviewed, um, she was told, frankly, um, we, maybe we need somebody who can really exert a certain level of force or uh, intimidation or a certain, let's say, quote-unquote, masculine persona to, to uh, keep people in line, not somebody who rules through uh, virtue and uh, uh, communication. But, but if she is to look at her own personal experience, she truly believes that this is the wrong approach because you know, she's made her way up through this company and she has worked for many different department heads. And, um, and frankly, of them all, the, the best department head she's had was somebody who gives the employees uh, a reason to, to work hard, a reason to believe in what they're doing, not somebody who is always yelling and throwing things and, uh, you know, kind of like the, the cliched uh, department as you see in Korean dramas. Uh, these, she believes that these people are only making the company into a more negative place, not one that is productive. So she, when she became editor-in-chief, she made it very clear to all her subordinates that um, she's not going to suddenly start walking around with, uh, uh, with um, uh, I guess, a uh, louder voice and, and acting like she has all this power. This is not leadership. Uh, what she can bring to the table and what she believes a company needs is debate, communication, and constantly exploring issues so that you can come to a common ground. And, and um, frankly, nowadays, I mean, you're looking at South Korea at a time when keywords such as communication and persuasion have become more important than ever. And this actually may be to women's advantage going forward because she truly feels that women are better suited to uh, exercising these characters than men are. <laughs> 부장들 호칭은 어떻게 하세요? 남자 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 so that itself is a very delicate negotiation uh, in deciding how she addresses her subordinates, right? So, uh, you know, in Korea, it's very typical to use the title to refer to someone and to be polite, you will add nim at the end. So, pujang nim, chajang nim. So, she would not call them nim, she would just call them so and so pujang, but she would take into consideration their respective ages and if they're there are people who are older than her, then she will use a polite form to to make sure they don't feel uh, respected. Interesting. <coughs> 
So um, I'm, I'm very sorry that we're not able to get any more questions from the audience, but time has run out and we should probably end the panel here. Um, there were some really great stories. Um, some were uplifting, some were pretty depressing. <laughs> I hope um, everyone took away something of their own. Um, we, you know, there's no solution to this and we didn't attempt to, you know, give you any sort of solutions to this big problem, whatever that is. I just hope that you guys were able to take away some questions that you can pose yourself when you go home. And um, before we wrap this all up, I'd like to thank Lee Jin Nim, um, who is my partner in crime from She's instrumental in organizing the panel with me. And I'd like to thank the panelists and the translators for coming. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And do we have time to socialize here, or do we have to leave? Um, if you'd like, the space is open for you to stay a little more and um, chat and hang out. Um, and hope you enjoy your time here. Thanks. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Assist, offering voiceovers, audio editing and mastering, transcriptions and show notes, episode summaries, and even hosting a podcast on a topic important to you. Visit Facebook.com slash Podcast Assist for more info on their flat $30 per hour rate. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. Korea FM.net.